Are you a woman in the middle? You're in the right place. I'm Susie Rosenstein, and you are listening to the Women in the Middle podcast, episode number 16. Imagine living your life after 50 and feeling energized and excited about your future. Welcome to the Women in the Middle podcast, the podcast for women who are ready to figure out what they want and create the life they deserve. Here's your host and master certified life coach, Susie Rosenstein. Hey there, so glad you're here for this week's episode, which is all about the surprising lessons that you can learn from leaving a long-term job, especially when it wasn't your choice to leave, and how mindfulness work can really be the difference to being happier going forward to really loving your life after 50. And I have a treat for you today. Today's podcast is the first interview with someone who is living proof of this work, Wendy Goodridge. Wendy has 25 years experience in health promotion and health planning in Canada. She has a joint honors degree in health studies and kinesiology and a master's of science in health research. Wendy lives on a horse farm and enjoys spending time with five horses, three dogs, and a whack of cats. She also loves to sew in her spare time. And I'm so thrilled to have Wendy be my first podcast guest. So, Wendy, welcome. Welcome to Women in the Middle. I believe you are a woman in the middle at 55 years young. Absolutely. Totally, completely in the middle. Love it. Love it. So, tell us a bit about your long-term job. What did you do and how long were you there? So, as you mentioned, I did go to school for quite a few years. Spent six years studying to have my career, which was to be in the area of health and health promotion. And I was very fortunate to work for the government for two years in two different organizations. And then my career ended after 20 years in another government agency focused on health promotion. And I did actually was able to excel and move up in that organization to the point where I was able to hire teams, worked on various projects, was very involved in the leadership of the organization, and really was in the career that I had trained to be in. Wow, 20 years. That's a long time. I also was in a job for 19 years, and time flies. Like, I just never even imagined I'd be there that long. Did you? No, I wasn't expecting to be in that position that long, but I grew with the position. And as I grew, I learned more and I got more responsibility and I really enjoyed the work I was doing. It was, it really felt like my calling, like it was my career. It wasn't a job. And I w I knew that I was supposed to be there. Oh, that's so good. So did you actually think about leaving? What were your thoughts as those 20 years were going by? Did you actually ever think, should I leave? Have I been here too long? Should I leave or should I go? What was going on through your through your mind? Yeah, I, as I mentioned, I was able to grow in the position and got to the point where I had many staff, many programs, many managers reporting to me, and I really enjoyed that part. I'd say in the last five years, though, I mean, when anyone who works for government knows that there's all sorts of different barriers and mm. challenges, and sometimes it's hard to be innovative and kind of be your authentic self. So I was starting to feel in that last five years that I wasn't really where I needed to be, that I wasn't able to do the kinds of things I wanted to do and work with 
other like-minded people. And, and it might have been that they'd been there, they'd been there longer than I had. And I always said to myself, you know, I never want to be dead wood. So I did have thoughts about leaving. There were, you know, bad days and good days. And um, I definitely thought that uh, at some point it made sense that maybe I should leave. But I was very fearful. I mean, I'm living in a fairly small rural community. You know, I felt like I had a lot to offer, but I'd only ever worked in this one government agency. So I really didn't know that there was anything that I could do outside of that. So I was very afraid to leave because I was pretty comfortable. And I really enjoyed the people. Uh, the majority of the people were great people. I'd, I'd hired most of them. So they were, <laughs> they were part of my team. I felt very well respected. We were doing some really interesting work. That's so interesting that you ended up hiring a lot of those people that made the whole work experience so rich. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's really, that's good. And I under, I really do hear that you've grown with the organization. Now, a lot of my clients talk about that too, that when they have these jobs, they're almost too good to leave, but they think they're just not sure if they should stay or not. So I hear what you're saying about that. And, you know, some of these jobs look so good on paper. And then you probably had really good benefits being there so long. You probably had a f more than a few weeks vacation. It was There were a lot of great things about the position. And sometimes you don't realize how great it was until it's not there anymore. So yes, I had been there for 20 years. I'd gained a lot of vacation time, a lot of compensating time, great benefits. So it was not something that you would definitely want to just give up overnight. Right, I hear you. So then what happened that changed everything? <laughs> well, the person that I had been reporting to and working with for 20 years retired, and a new person came into the organization and um, went about doing a review of, you know, how things functioned. And well, about within the first year, I found myself and three of my colleagues who were part of the senior management group were put to the curb and we were done. We were deemed redundant and we were no longer employees of that organization. Wow, that sounds pretty painful. It was very painful. That was, that was my career. Even though I'd, I'd contemplated leaving for many years, it still was super painful because I didn't leave on my own terms. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Like, I also fantasized about leaving for about five years. I would run through all these scenarios in my mind when I was in my long-term job, and I would actually do some calculations about <laughs> retirement and things like that. But then when it actually happened, oh, my God, I felt kicked in the stomach. It was so harsh, and it was way more harsh than I ever expected. So these long-term jobs really are long-term Jobs. There's it's a commitment that you make to a career. And and I made a commitment to all those people that I was, you know, privileged enough to work with and hire and provide careers for them. And so it was super painful. And I think the thing that I really missed the most was it was the people. It mm. was not spending time with some of the wonderful people that I, I got to call my teammates. Wow. And then did you have to take the walk of shame? I ended oh. up packing up on the weekend, so I didn't have to take the walk of shame. What happened? Well, we sensed, we knew that this was coming. We were told we would be deemed redundant. So we were prepared, we, myself and three others. 
And so I didn't have to go back in and clean up my desk. I'd already done that. But I did have, I was told to leave the building and that I no longer had the privilege of being an employee. And that really felt like, as you said, uh, someone just kind of kicked me in the stomach. Yikes. So do you remember what were your thoughts and feelings as you were dealing with this? Well, it was, I felt very hurt. I felt very betrayed. I felt like the rug had been totally pulled out from underneath me. I was frightened. I wasn't sure what the future would hold. I had a couple of young daughters who were, you know, about to start going to university. And um, it was very, I felt very hurt that this had happened to me because I considered myself a really good employee. I worked very hard. I was very passionate about my work. But the new approach of the new organization, there wasn't a place for me. And I thought, I just didn't understand that, why I wouldn't be part of the new organization going forward. Mm, so it sounds like, yeah, it was a bit confusing. It was very confusing. Yeah. Very confusing because at that point I'd done almost every position as a senior manager at some point. And so to be told that there was no position for me in the new organization, I was very confused by that. Yeah. When did you realize that those thoughts didn't help you at all? Thinking about being confused that the decision didn't look like it made any sense. When did you have a sense thinking about it that way wasn't helping you? Well, I, I went into a, a fairly significant grieving phase, I'd say. And anger was one of my go-to emotions. Very angry about what had been done to me, that my career had been taken away, that I didn't deserve to have my career taken away. So anger actually became a really big part of how I lived for about a year. Anger, confusion. I was very much isolating myself from other people. And then I started to look at, you know, my therapist, because I needed assistance to get through this. One of the things she said to me is, and I'll never forget it, you have the gift of time. Because, you know, busy career person, two very busy girls, I had the gift of time and I, I didn't know what to do with it. Wow. So that is totally fresh perspective. So this all happened, I guess, what was it, about seven or eight years ago? Yep. It was about eight years ago. And, and I'd say it took me about four years to really be able to talk to people about it and mm. not get teary. Wow. So as a woman in the middle, you are not alone. I have talked to many people who've had a similar experience, that's for sure. And I think it sounds like what you realized is that I don't know that it matters how hard you work and <laughs> how good a job you do. Sometimes people make decisions based on other things, different agendas, the organization as a whole moves forward, and it uh, doesn't always make sense. No. And it's not always fair. You know, it's just the way it is. But as a woman in the middle, we are a little older and wiser now. And that is one of those life lessons, I think. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And you're right. It doesn't matter how hard you work because sometimes the organization takes a sidestep in a different direction and, and you're not deemed to be part of it. And that's just the way it is. It, it wasn't fun. It wasn't easy. And it's taken me about four years to kind of figure that out. Yeah, yeah. So what do you think changed for you to start to see that even something this harsh could be something that happens for you and not mm. to you? Mm -hmm. Well, I think um, 
I did have a long time of grieving, and I needed to be able to you know, reflect on the fact that I had done some great work. And the fact that someone can take your career away, they cannot take away who you are. They cannot take away your skills, your abilities, your knowledge, your expertise. Oh, that's so they good. They can't take away your passion. They can take your career. They can take your job. But that's all they can take. <laughs> that's, that's all they can take. Such good insight. And it took me a long time to figure that out because anger really took over. And mm. anger and fear of how I was going to pay the mortgage next month or put food on the table for my children. So I remember suggesting something to you at that time because Wendy and I go back a long way. And it's funny, we both did end up losing our long-term jobs around the same time. Not exactly the same time, but we certainly supported each other through <laughs> through the times when it happened to each of us. And I remember suggesting something to you at that time that seemed a little crazy, but I knew that you loved to sew. And I also knew that you loved people. I always remember thinking you loved people more than I did. And you being out there on a farm, you were a bit secluded. So I told you that I think that you should take a job at the local sewing store in town. And you thought I was nuts. I thought you were off your <laughs> rocker. I mean, I'm a professional woman. I'm not going to work at the sewing store. That's what I thought. And when I, as you say, I live in the country and I would be very lonely. And so I would actually take drives into town. And if I was in town and I'd say, oh, I should go over and see one of my favorite friends at that sewing store. And I would just go in to see if she was in so that I could talk to her. So this happened a couple of times. And my friend at the sewing store said, you know, we're hiring. I said, get out of town. She <laughs> goes, yes, we're hiring. I said, oh, that's nice. She said, you should apply. I said, you sound like my friend Susie. <laughs> so this happened a couple of times. And eventually, I took my resume in. And I got hired on the spot. And I started working at the sewing store, at the fabric store, at a place where people are happy because they're in their favorite place. They're in their creative place. And so I started there and I worked there for two years, part-time, hard work, very physical work, but it was very rewarding. So when did you notice that your mood started to change and what did you notice about yourself as this was all happening? Well, like when, when your career is taken from you, you really feel useless and you think, you know, I'm, I haven't got a purpose. And it's not about the title that you have. I read a really interesting book, and of course, I can't remember the title of it now, but it's, I think it's The Leader Without a Title. And I thought, you know, that speaks volumes because you can do so many fabulous things without that director title. And I had been reading a lot of different things. And my very first shift at the, at the fabric store, I was helping a customer who was totally out of her element, trying to figure out how to put together a quilt. And she didn't know how to get started. She didn't know how to pick fabric. She didn't know how to pick colors. I was having so much fun dealing with this customer and helping her that my boss was saying, Wendy, your shift is over. Your shift is over. It's time to go home. I said, don't worry. I'm doing this on my own time. I want to make sure she gets what she needs. I didn't want to leave. And I mean, I I'm not sure my government job that ever quite happened. <laughs> I don't think it did. No. I mean, and I don't know if any of the listeners are are into sewing or into crafting, but when you're in your happy place, 
it's a wonderful thing. And people come into the, the fabric store and it's almost like an addiction. And they are looking to create something. And people would go crazy if I found them something in clearance that was exactly what they wanted. <laughs> and they'd be so thankful. I remember one woman wanting to do a costume and she was looking for a tie for her costume and teaching people how to, how to sew a tutu and basically helping young people read the back of a pattern. It became so interesting for me to to feel that sense of accomplishment and that I'd actually help these people and they were happy and thanking me and leaving the store very happy. I hadn't felt that working in government for a very long time. Wow, I bet that pretty much blew your mind. It blew my mind. It also hurt my feet because working eight <laughs> hours on your feet all day and it's a very physical job. But I really did. I loved my customers. Like you said, Susie, I'm very much a people person. And I, I loved it when my customers would come in. In fact, I have a funny little story. I had a little procedure done in the hospital. And I was lying in the recovery room and had just coming out of the anesthetic. My daughter was there. And the nurses were puttering around doing their thing. And, and I looked at one of the nurses. And I thought, oh, that's my customer from the fabric store. <laughs> I remember helping her with a project. And so she and I kind of got talking. She says, you look familiar. I said, yeah, I used to work at the fabric store. She goes, oh, yes. She says, you helped me make, uh, use that silk to make my son's uh, vest for his wedding. And I said, how did it turn out? So we got to chit-chatting. And she said, well, what are you sewing these days? I'm still lying in the bed, recovering. <laughs> and I said, oh, I'm doing a little bit of this and that. And I, she says, do you want to see what I'm sewing? I said, well, of course I do. <laughs> so she took off into their office, came out and showed me what she was sewing. I'm still lying in the recovery bed and I'm still talking about fabric and sewing. <laughs> so it's passion. It is a passion. I remember you mentioning in the early days of um, this job switcheroo, <laughs> this job situation, mm -hmm. that you were sewing. Weren't you sewing an, an ice skating mm, yes. outfit, like a dress a day for your kids? Well, it was therapy. It was therapy yeah. for me because I had, of course, a ton of fabric. Most of anyone who sews does. And, you know, you always have something planned for it. But I had no I had no job. I wasn't leaving the house to go to a job. So every day I would go down into my studio, which was in my basement, and I would put together um, a skating dress because both my daughters figure skated. And I would sew a skating dress every day from beginning to end. And it felt like I'd accomplished something. I remember we were selling some of my daughter's dresses at the arena. And there was a little a young girl there who liked one of the dresses that I had sewn for one of my daughters, but it was too big for her. So I made her one and brought the sewing machine to the arena so that I could adjust it before the competition, which was happening that day. So it got a little crazy. I was really doing a lot of sewing, and I treated myself to a new serger, which is um, an overlock stitch, and it's really helpful when you're working with lycra and stretch fabric. That is just so interesting. So for the first time in a few decades, it sounds, that you were actually happier at work than ever before. It blew my mind. <laughs> it blew my mind. I hadn't felt that sense of satisfaction, that sense of someone. I had made a difference in someone's life because I was, of course, in senior management. And you don't see that every day. You're not touching people every day. I remember the first paycheck I received, um, my first paycheck, and I looked at my new friend, one of my new friends who worked there with me, and I said, $210. I said, I think they dropped a zero because <laughs> I wasn't used to seeing $210 for my paycheck. But, you know, it wasn't even about the money. It was about being able to be useful 
to do something that I enjoyed and that other people enjoyed. And I got a lot of great fabric. <laughs> oh, I bet. So it sounds like this little foray into the fabric store was your baby step into coming back. Yes. Sounds like you were coming back. So I remember you started consulting then, right? Yes, I did. Um, because I started to re- realize that, like I said before, I was the same great person and I had a lot to offer. And so I started doing some consulting on the side and got to work with some really interesting people on some really interesting projects and um, enjoyed that. And I was able to do that as well as work at the fabric store. So how long do you think that all was? So it took about four years from being restructured out Mm -hmm. to the next full-time permanent job? That's right. For me, it did. I did go through a long grieving period. As I said, I talked about the anger and the there's just totally confusion for myself. And it was really about, you know, taking that gift of time that I was given and using it wisely. And I look back on that now, Susie, and I think I could have used that time wi- more wisely. I didn't, but I think that maybe I needed to heal in different ways. Yeah, so I'm wondering, in hindsight then, what would you say was the most important lesson in the thought work that you had to do to find your way again? Well, that's a that's an interesting one. I think I would go to the fact that you are still you. You still have all of your skills, your knowledge. If you have an undergrad degree, a master's degree, a PhD, no one can take that away from you. That is yours. You keep that with you forever. Your knowledge, your passion, your expertise is not something that anyone can take away and that you need to look at how you can apply it in different ways. And you really need to seek someone to help you see that. I did have some really great people in my life that were helping me, you know, to get back on track because I was I was in a really very depressed state. Yeah, and perspective, it's so hard to get a broad perspective when you've been in one job for so yes. long. Yeah, I thought oh, I can't work anywhere else. This is where that's the only place I've ever worked. Who would ever want to hire me to work for them? Well, that that really is something with that we women in the middle have in common because many of us at our age have been in one job for a really long time, 10 or more years. Because back in the day, that was a good thing. If you could find a full-time permanent job versus a contract position, you were gold. Yes. And then many of us had mat leaves. And then before you know it, a decade or two goes by and you're still at this job. And it is harder to get that broad perspective when you have been pretty much defined by your title with one employer for such a long time. So I agree. I think having some people in your life, professionals to help you make this transition is really, really important. And to find this new perspective and to help guide your thinking, like your therapist was able to do early on, can really, really be important. So what you said was that your career may have been taken away, your job title may have been taken away, but your skills, your knowledge, your expertise, your experience, your passion, none of that, nobody can touch that. Nope. Nobody can come near it. You're still the bright woman that you always were, and you're still the talented person who loves to contribute and goes all in with whatever job you have. That is all you. And I think that's the other thing, that because we've been around now for a while, we don't have an empty resume. 
No, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, if I've known now, then what I know now, I would have left <laughs> that job when I was starting to think that I'm not making the contribution I want to make. And this organization is not going in the direction that I feel like I could make a contribution. I never wanted to be dead wood. I wanted to be someone on the cutting edge, always, you know, pushing the envelope, being innovative. And so if I had that realization before the decision was made for me, I would have been in more control and I would have been able to do what I wanted when I wanted, not in someone else's time frame. And I would never have felt that way. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. And that really, this idea that you love to teach and you love to share and that people benefit from what you have to give, that got lost in all of the drama of the of the harshness of the event. That is exactly what happened. Yeah. Exactly. You nailed it. I didn't feel useful anymore. I felt like I obviously wasn't good enough to stay with that organization, even though I'd given it my heart and soul for 20 years. And it wasn't, it wasn't enough. So if we add a little bit more perspective to this and take it back to the thought model. So if you're a listener of the Women in the Middle podcast, you know that everything I teach is based on the thought model where the circumstance is neutral. So if we look at this situation, being restructured out is neutral. Now, it didn't feel neutral. It felt harsh. And you had all kinds of thoughts about it. But the actual event of being restructured out is a fact, and it is indeed neutral. Now, back then, when you had that thought, it created feelings of anger. But when you think this new thought that people benefit from what you have to give, it creates a completely different feeling. People benefit from what I have to give creates this feeling of usefulness, like you're making a difference, which is another thought. And that's who I am, which is another thought. And that's what's important to me, which is another thought. And all those thoughts create this completely different feeling of being useful versus these other feelings that were coming from these thoughts of what they did to you and how a weird confusing decision was made and how you didn't deserve this. It's a completely different ballgame and perspective. And when you feel useful, the next step in the thought model after the thought creates the feelings is your actions. So when you feel useful, what are you able to do? For me, it's learn more. And as I started working with different groups as a consultant, I was starting to better understand what they needed from people who came in to help them with a specific project. So I was feeling useful in what I could give them. Then I wanted to learn more. I wanted to learn more about trust, conflict resolution. I could see that the groups really needed to better understand how to do that as, as some of my little consulting jobs came along. So I was able to really direct some of my own individual learning, my self-directed learning, so that I could then offer different types of teachable moments, workshops, opportunities for the groups that had approached me who knew who I was on my reputation. They knew I was a great facilitator. They wanted me to come in and work with their group. They had some difficulty going on. And every time I worked with a group, I'd say, oh, I can see that they need X, Y, and Z. And then I'd you know, pursue that more. So I became more useful. 
and the result that you created for yourself, more job satisfaction? Absolutely. It sounds like you also created a bit of a niche for yourself. I did. I did create a bit of a niche for myself. Being a consultant, for anyone who's out there as a consultant, you know how tough it is. So I did enjoy it. I learned a great deal. I was able to meet some wonderful people, and I was able to make some difference in a number of different areas. So it was a great experience. And that ultimately proves your thought that you're making a difference. So you can see that this new perspective and this new thinking, which is creating these different feelings and creates all of your action, creates ultimately a completely different personal experience for yourself and proves your thought that you are indeed making a difference. This is such a good story. And I know that it's happened to so many listeners out there. And I would love to hear you guys on email please share your stories. It's just so good. And it's just such a good example of how powerful thought work can be. At the beginning, not surprisingly, your thoughts about what happened, that the decision made no sense, that you didn't do anything to deserve this, it all created feelings that weren't useful to you. These feelings did not help you move forward. It just helped you stay in anger and and a bit of grief at the harshness and change. Anger, grief, sadness, for sure. And with time, you were able to think differently about the whole situation. Your new thought that came gradually with time was that people can benefit from what you have to give and that you are making a difference. And when you think these thoughts, you feel useful. And wow, a completely different result for yourself too. More job satisfaction, a niche for yourself, and ultimately making a difference in your field. So notice that the circumstance is the same. You had a long-term job and you had to leave the long-term job because of a decision that somebody else made for you. And that's the same thing that happened to me. We don't always have control of certain decisions in our life, but we do have control over what we make those decisions mean. So in this situation, the circumstance is the same. But such a huge difference in the thoughts you had about the circumstances and how those thoughts made you feel. So it's, again, such a good reminder that thoughts are optional. There are really hundreds, probably thousands of ways to think about how a circumstance can be in your life, about a circumstance in your life, a fact in your life, even the loss of a long-term job. So, Wendy, thank you so much for sharing your experience with us. As a woman in the middle, your experience of going through a situation like this at work will resonate with so many, and it is so encouraging and inspiring. You've been able to love your life after 50. Amen. Yes. Amen (laughs) to that, sister friend. So that's it for this episode, everyone. Let's do this, ladies. You never know what will happen in midlife. Sometimes what appears to be bad news can really be something amazing that you didn't expect. Loving life after 50 is a real option, one thought at a time. I'm convinced being a woman in the middle is the best place to be. Thanks so much for listening and have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to this episode of Women in the Middle. If you liked what you heard and want more, head over to womeninthemiddlepodcast.com slash guide to download a free actionable guide that will help you break out of your midlife funk and start living the life you want.